Yeah, howdy, howdy, motherfuckers. Uh, it's episode 10, I believe. Yes, episode 10 of the Fight Figures podcast. I'm releasing this very late in the week. Pretty much right before UFC 276, which is not the ideal time to be recording this, but, you know, it is what it is. And we're just coming off of a sensational, or at least a sensational main event in the form of Matush Gamrot. Matush? Mateus? No one knows. In fact, going back and watching the post-fight, interviews when Michael Bisping does his you know he walks into the cage and he goes Matthias Gamrot Matthias Gamrot that, that's how he says it initially he goes Matthias Gamrot ladies and gentlemen and then he changes to Matouche like two seconds later so Bisping doesn't even know anyway Gamrot fought Armin Sarukian Sarukian yeah fuck I suck at names huh Gamrot versus Sarukian was a banger there were some other good fights on here. There was also some disappointing stuff. There was Chris Curtis versus Rodolfo Vieira. That was a banger. Yeah, we also had Uman Magomedov taking on Nate Maness, and there was a pretty good victory from the Dagestan native. Yeah, that was cool. And then Carlos Ulberg actually put together a really, really solid performance. Not a long fight, only a minute 15 seconds long, but I, honestly, I was terrified for him coming into this contest after... I thought his last performance was incredibly uh, was incredibly disappointing in terms of output against Fabio Cherant back at UFC 271. And then he had that fight with Kennedy and Jekwu where I just it was a fight of the night. It was a banger, don't get me wrong. But he just he was throwing a lot of straight arm punches and he was getting far too carried away in the offense. He just was not calm, collected, precise, thoughtful with his striking. And I thought in this fight against Nchukwi... Nchukwi? Yeah, Nchukwi. I thought he was a lot more he was a lot more calm, he was a lot more composed, and, and he got the finish in an orderly fashion. And yeah, it was I thought it was really good. It's a beautiful jab. Beautiful jab Ulberg showed off there. Yes, but I mean, fuck all this other shit. Mario Batista got a victory, got a submission over Brian Kelleher. Cool, awesome. Love to see it. Whatever. I don't really care. All we really care about is the main event, which was a banger for the ages. And we're kind of going to run through this fight, and we're going to like briefly talk about Chris Curtis versus Rodolfo Vieira, just because I mean, UFC 276 is coming up this weekend, and that's got so many fights to talk about. That's Israel Adesanya versus Jared Kennedy, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway 3, Sean Strickland versus Alex Pierre, Robbie Lawler, Bar- Brian Barberena, Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley. Those fights are just the main card. And then you've got stuff like Brad Tavares versus Drusius Duplessis on the prelims. That's a banger. Ian Gary returns against Gabriel Green. Brad Riddell's back against Jalen Turner. Jim Miller's taking on Don Cerrone. Uriah Hall against Andre Munoz. This is actually a really great, really great card. And you've even got Jessica Rose Clark on the early prelims. And she is awesome. She's fucking heaps of fun to watch. She's an awesome Australian. Uh, love seeing her. BS yes, Matush Gamrot versus Armin Sarukian. Some interesting things going on here throughout the course of the fight. Armin Sarukian, I, in my opinion, I, I scored it in favor of Sarukian. I gave him the first, second, and the fourth rounds. The fourth one was a little bit contentious. I know Paul Felder on the broadcast was saying, oh, it's pretty close, actually. You know, this one this one might go in favor of, of Gamrot. I, mm, he got a takedown, and he, he took the back, actually. I believe it was the fourth round that he took the back in. Fourth or the third. Regardless, he had some success in the fourth round. Don't get me wrong. I just thought the more significant strikes were landed by Sarukian. Sarukian got the knockdown with the spinning back fist. And he landed some really nice shots towards the conclusion of the round. So I th- I would have given him the victory. But, you know, it is what it is. 
whatever, whatever. I definitely gave Gamrot the third and the fifth rounds. The fourth round was a bit more contentious. I don't know. I, I can't recall what the... I need to jump on Reddit and see if everyone disagrees with me. I assume they probably do. And I was I was watching the wrong thing. But I don't really care who won the fight because the fight was just... It was a banger, you know? I mean, I, I care for Mr. Sarukian's pocket. I'm sure he would have appreciated making a bit of extra fucking money. But shit. In terms of the fight itself, it was sensational, and there was lots of technical stuff that was really impressive. I thought, well, one of the things that from the get-go was Amitsurukian blasting that open side body kick whenever Gamrot went southpaw. He loves blasting it when he has a southpaw opponent. And it was just really interesting seeing the progression of that, because by the fifth round, you had Gamrot cross-checking that, that body kick. And in that fifth round, it just was not anywhere near as significant an issue on that open side. Additionally, you see from the get-go, Armin Sarukian's, you know, throwing the jab cross and then stepping into this, the, the step-up body kick or high kick. That was really cool. It reminded me of Kevin Lee versus Gregor Gillespie. Albeit that was a counter. That was a pullback right hand into pullback overhand right into a step up high kick. But similar kind of premise coming forward with the hands and then stepping into that high kick or stepping into that body kick can be really effective. Jan Blahovic does it really well, as we saw against Dominic Reyes. I thought Armin Sarukin was having some success with it early, served him well in the first two rounds, and then I just I thought he kind of I mean his kicking game became a little more centered around his rear kick and I don't think he was switch kicking as much he threw some switch kicks in there and he, in fact I think it was in the second round there was one point where Gamrot might have been the third round actually because Gamrot was really pushing forward in the third round he really found his groove and was really on the front foot in that third round yeah there was one point where Gamrot was coming forward pushing the pace and Sarukian threw a really gorgeous counter switch kick to the body reminded me of Gilbert Burns versus Tyron Woodley that's how he kind of mitigated the overhand right Tyron would step forward with the overhand and Gilbert would put up the switch kick to the body, which is very effective when your opponent is stepping into it because you just slam them in the ribs and their own momentum adds to the pain, the misery, the disappointment for themselves. So yeah, there was one point where he landed one of those, but yeah, I thought... I thought he probably could have gone with the switch kick a little more often because I thought he was having quite a bit of success with it. Also, Sarukian, was, it was interesting watching him throw spinning stuff because when he missed, oh, it looked bad. There was a spinning side kick that he missed in the first round, I think it was, and he looked terrible. Uh, it, didn't, like, it didn't look like he spun around quick enough because when, when you throw a spinning side kick, you spin, and it's not like you just throw blind. You're meant to spin with your shoulders and see your opponent, and then that's when you extend with the kick. You see the target, then you extend. So you have to turn around and get your head, you have to whip your head around so that you can see the target before you extend with the kick. And it didn't look like he did that in the first round. It looked like he just kind of blasted this this really bad spinning side kick, and it wasn't great. But then in the second round, I think it was, he threw one and it landed perfectly. It landed right underneath the elbow of Gamron, landed flush. It was gorgeous. In terms of the grappling, holy shit. I just want to talk about, like, oh, there was just so many cool things. Like, Sarukin going for the Gramby in the fifth round, and then Gamrot just blocking him with the body lock. Like, I don't know, man. You shouldn't be able to do that. There was also a takedown in the fifth round. I think, Yeah, I think it was the fifth round, where Gamrot went knee to the floor with the, with the takedown attempt. And you usually don't do that in mixed martial arts, because... 
you know, it, it, you've got to cover so much distance compared to a wrestling contest. You know, it, it's a big octagon. It's it's bigger than your standard wrestling mat. I think it is. I think it would be considered bigger than your standard wrestling mat. And additionally, you've obviously got the threat of things like, you know, knees and you've got the, the threat of uppercuts and whatnot. So you, you don't want to go that low with it. But there are some guys who are really good with low singles and low doubles. And Gamrot just stepped in, dropped his knee to the floor and shot a beautiful takedown in the fifth round, and his entry was so slick, it was so deep, that he was able to come up on the back immediately. It was incredible. I didn't understand how he did it. It was it was so good. There were so many times where Gamrot had the leg, had the single leg, and then he elevated. He put it up on his shoulder, and Sarukian didn't give a shit, and was just punching him in the face, and just balancing on one leg, and it was like, how? Human beings shouldn't be able to do this. This is insane. It's crazy. I thought the striking was really even. I thought Saruki and his jab looked really good. He was tripling up and throwing four of them at a time on some occasions. And Gamrot was catching him in the middle of these exchanges. I think Gamrot's counter-striking in this fight was so impressive. He was kind of just... He was making his mark on the fight in the midst of exchanges. It wasn't like... I don't think his initiations were that great. I don't think he was throwing really great on the lead. There was one point in like the second or the third round where he threw like a jab overhand or a jab right hook. And completely whiffed, completely missed. There was so much space between him and Sarukian. And it just it just reminded me, yeah, but no, this motherfucker should let Sarukian come to him because he's having a lot of success counter-jabbing. Sarukian was having a bit of success throwing the check hook from, I mean, he was orthodox pretty much the entire fight. So, you know, he was throwing the check hook from orthodox, obviously. But, yeah, it just it looked like as the fight was going on, as it was getting into that third round where Gamrot was starting to take over a bit more, yeah, that check hook was coming off second best against the jab of Gamron, which I think looked really sensational when he did employ it from both stances, but mainly orthodox. He didn't go southpaw as much as he, he probably would otherwise because of the threat of the open side body kick, but yeah, when when he did, he was still landing decent with the, uh, with the lead hand. All in all, incredible fight. Had a great time. Lots of things to take away from it. There were just there were so many crazy rolls. There were so many crazy sprawls. I loved it. I loved it so much. I feel like I want to do a breakdown of all the grappling. I might, at some point, I might do a whole video on it. I don't know. Talking about other things like, oh, what's it called? Rodolfo Vieira versus uh, Curtis, Chris Curtis, sorry. That was a sensational fight. I thought the takedown defense from Chris Curtis was, I mean, it was incredible. He just kept defending takedowns. And there were there was a bit of variety in his defense as well. There was using the Wizard really effectively. There was obviously, you know, your classic sprawls to avoid doubles when Vieira was was a little more desperate, I think. Yeah, I thought he was just really consistent in his takedown defense, and his striking is always just so entertaining. We saw the right hook and its its usage in the Brendan Allen fight. He was coming over the top of Brendan Allen's jab and over the top of Brendan Allen's own lead hook. And he was landing that kind of slappy right hook. And I believe, if I recall correctly, that's actually what hurt Brendan Allen. But he was doing that after going to the body with the left hand. And yeah, I just, I really love his left hook to the body. As a southpaw, it's obviously very difficult to land that left hook to the body consistently because it is such a far away weapon. You know, rear hooks to the body, difficult to land because you have to step in pretty deep to land them. But yeah, he was doing that quite a bit. He was throwing the straight left, and then he was folding in the left hook to the body off of that, and he was also throwing a really nice snappy right hook over the top. He throws a really nice darting straight left, does Chris Curtis. 
Like, oh, sometimes he'll dart. Sometimes he just slips off to the right preemptively as he's throwing the straight left, which is good because Vieira was, honestly, his jab looked better than I anticipated it was going to look. Yeah, I don't know. You just don't assume that the the ADCC medalist and one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor, competitors sorry, in mixed martial arts is going to have a decent jab. But lo and behold, there you go. I thought his jab was actually pretty decent in this context, and I thought he was throwing some really effective one-twos. But yeah, Chris Curtis just kind of preemptively throws his head off the center line, and he's bringing that straight left down the middle. Sometimes it's a straight left. Sometimes it's an overhand right. Sometimes it's a left hook to the motherfucking body. There's just a lot of variety with it. And it's really entertaining to watch. He jabs really effectively. I don't know he's just such an, an entertainingly, an entertainingly systematic striker, because he's not working with a million and one techniques. This isn't Yair Rodriguez or Zabit Magomedsharipov, you know, back in back in the day, before he was retired, before he decided to become a fucking doctor. How crazy! Yeah, this is a guy with. A couple of weapons, knows how to utilize them effectively, and knows how to mix and match them effectively to get a victory. So yes, this this fight with Vieira was really entertaining, really, really awesome. And I'm really happy for Chris Curtis that he's continuing to showcase his skill and he's continuing to win. He's three on the trot now, and this puts him in, I think, pretty good stead. I wouldn't be surprised, because what, we're in the welterweight division, right? Was it the welterweight or middleweight division? Brendan Allen... Surely it's welterweight. Surely it's welterweight, middleweight. I'm a fucking idiot. Jesus Christ. Sorry, I just had a moment there. Yeah, he's in the middleweight division. Yeah, he, he should, in my opinion, he should get number 15, number 14, number 13. I have no idea what the middleweight rankings are right now. I can't, I just assume they're not that deep. If we go the athlete rankings, the USC.com. Middleweight, number 15 is Edmund Shabazian. Hasn't he lost like two in a row? No, he's lost like three in a row because he lost to Jack Manson, he lost to Derek Brunson, and I don't think he... Yeah, he lost to Im, Imamov in his most recent one back at UFC 268. That was via TKO. So he's lost three on the trot, and he's number 15. Uh, yes, Chris Curtis could absolutely fight Shabazian. Chris Wyman. Chris Wyman is number 14. It's insane, actually. Like... Wyman and Shabazian are four, uh, Shabazian's 15, Wyman's 14, and then you've got Andre Muniz at 13. It's like, bro, the, <laughs> these are not in the same category. Muniz uh, is weirdly low, in my opinion, because Brad Tavares is 12, Imov is number 11, Gaslam's 10. Gaslam's just going to kind of keep his position in the middleweight rankings until the end of fucking time because of that, that sensational fight of the year he had with Israel Adesanya. So... That's a difficult one. If you're moving up the rankings, you've kind of got to go through Gastelum at this point. He's he's the new Derek Brunson. And Derek Brunson himself has, has elevated beyond Derek Brunson. And is, I mean, is still number five. So, yeah. This middleweight division is kind of wide open for the taking. And Chris Curtis, with all his experience and all his veteran savvy, I think can genuinely do some things in this division. Can uh, Can move up the rankings and can be... I, I actually favor him over Shabazi and I favor over him over Weidman at this point in Weidman's career. The takedown defense that we saw out of Curtis and the variety and the and just his 
his cardio as well. I mean, he was defending takedowns consistently for three straight rounds. That's not easy. It's not easy for the person trying to get the takedowns, and it's not easy for the person trying to defend the takedowns. But he was he was effective through the course of three rounds. So I think if you put him in a three-round fight with Chris Wyman, I, I honestly think I'd take him as, as a favorite in that. Then you get to Andre Muniz, and I'm like, not so much. But yeah, speaking of Andre Muniz, isn't he fighting this weekend? Isn't he fighting this weekend? He is. He's fighting against Uriah Hall, which is a pretty good fight. I'm very excited for this one. I'm very excited for the entirety of UFC 276. So let's fucking talk about this card because we could talk about other stuff. We could talk about Gagar Musasi losing on the weekend, but honestly, he just looked slow. His jab didn't look as effective as usual. I mean, in part, just he wasn't able to get it working. Johnny Eblen, I thought, just did a great job of being consistent in his offense. His wrestling offense was great. Got a couple of knockdowns, didn't he? Did he get one knockdown? I can't remember. Jesus Christ, I'm bad at this. Yes, Johnny Eblen had a, had a sensational performance against Gagar Musasi this weekend and got the Bellator Middleweight Championship. That was cool. I'm just kind of running through these things because I feel like I have a, you know, I have a responsibility to do so. Danny Sabatello, who is very entertaining outside of the cage, had a boring-ass victory, a boring-ass five-round victory over Leandro Higo. Got a 49-46 on all three judges' scorecards, and now they're trying to set up... Who are they trying to set up again? They're trying to set him up versus... Yeah, it'll be fighting Stotts in... where? What is that now? Is that the finals? No, no, that's like the semifinals, I think. Of this of this bantamweight Grand Prix, which is pretty entertaining, honestly. I love how Stotts came into the into the the ring afterwards, into the cage afterwards, and was just like, "Yeah, that was shit. <laughs> that performance was trash. He was so boring." I'm like, yeah, he is. <laughs> He's entertaining to listen to, though. So you know, it is what it is. Katsangano also got a win on the weekend. That's cool. You know, I don't know. It was a fine little card, honestly. Didn't mind it from Bellator. Good job there. Let's talk about UFC 276. Let, let's stop fucking around and let's just get to the good shit. Yeah, there's a couple of bangers on this card. In the main event, we have Israel Adesanya defending the middleweight championship against Jared Cannonier, who's pretty damn good and had a really good victory over... Not a really good victory. It was a messy victory over Derek Brunson recently. In the first round, it looked like he wasn't going <laughs> to... Looked like he wasn't going to get that W, but he was able to rally and Brunson kind of gassed in that second round. And... Yeah, Cannon, he was able to get the get the KO uh, via some fucking sick-ass elbows in that second round, late in the second round, actually. I didn't realize how late in the second round it was. I thought it was about halfway through. Nope, nope, he kept at it, and he got it about 4 minutes and 29 seconds into that second round. Prior to that, though, he had a really good performance against Kelvin Gaston. It was a unanimous decision where he hurt him on multiple occasions. He shut down the hand-fighting of Kelvin Gastelum. He was kicking, well, I mean... He, Cannoneer fights both Southpaw and Orthodox. If I recall correctly, yeah, no, I think he primarily fights out of Orthodox. If I recall correctly, yeah, he primarily fights out of Orthodox. But he was switching a bit against Kelvin Gastelum, and in either stance, he was shutting down the lead hand. He wasn't giving Gastelum that opportunity to... I mean, Gastelum's game is, you know, it's tried and tested. It's like, you know, when we're talking about all the gatekeepers, we're talking about the people who we, we know they're... We know their games. We've seen their games develop over the course of years and years. There's nothing 
There's nothing surprising about it anymore. That's Kelvin Gastelum in a nutshell, because we know what he's going to do. If it's a Southpaw Orthodox matchup, he is going to bat down that lead hand. He's going to look for wrist controller. He's going to just look to clear the lead hand, and he's going to try and come over the top with either the jab cross, or he's going to come with the 3-2. He's going to come with the right hook into the left straight. And then if you come forward on him, he's going to pull back, and he's going to try and hit you with that, that straight left counter that he hit Michael Bisping with and knocked him the fuck out. So... Cannon, just did not give him any control of that lead hand. I thought his jab looked really good in that fight. I thought he was disrupting rhythm really effectively, which is the biggest thing against Kelvin Gastelum. Go back and watch Kelvin Gastelum's knockdown of Chris Wyman early on in their fight. I believe that was at the end of the first round. Like, right at the end of the first round. Gastelum is kind of, he does this, like, shaking back and forth, or this rocking back and forth, and it lulls guys, similar to Yoel Romero, lulls them into a false sense of security, I think. You know, I'm not in Chris Wyman's head at the at the moment, but yeah, he just rocks back and forth, and he kind of lightly bats down the lead hand in this very familiar way. He's just back and forth, knocks it down, back and forth, knocks it down, and then he'll just go from zero to a hundred. His speed changes so quickly, and he clears that lead hand, and he comes in with with uh, I believe in that specific knockdown, it's a the three two, and the the straight left cracks. It just cracks Wyman and Wyman drops. And, you know, th- those are the familiar weapons, but they can be very effective weapons if you allow Gastelum to get his timing down. And Cannonier did not give him his timing. He's just constant with the lead hand. He was constant with kicking, great body kicking offense, great high kicking offense as well. I thought he was very effective on the back foot, had a great counter left hook out of orthodox. Yeah, I just I thought it was a very comprehensive performance. He looked incredibly strong in the clinch. Gastelum was trying to take him down, and I don't think Cannonier gave up. I think he might have given up a single takedown, if I recall correctly. But he didn't give up much. He didn't give up much at all. Sorry, I'm just jumping on here right... Oh my god, I didn't realize that that Gastelum's last fight was against Cannoneer. He hasn't fought since then. But if we're looking at takedowns... Yep, Kelvin Gastelum went 0 for 8, according to UFC's stats. Yeah, wild. Uh, But it was was a pretty... All the three judges scored at 48-47. I remember it being a little more... A little more in favor of Cannoneer. <laughs> but, you know, what do I know? Yeah, Gaston was actually doing pretty well in terms of the volume throughout this fight, but he just he just kept getting cracked. It felt like watching Jimmy Rivera versus what's his name? What's his name? Piotian. Where oh yeah, the volume is on the side of Jimmy. Jimmy's doing some really effective technical striking. Oh, and now he is asked to sit the canvas, and now he's lost the round. That's kind of what it felt like. Uh, Cannonier was doing a really good job at finding his openings and landing when he needed to. And that was really, if you're a Cannonier fan at least, it was really good to see after that loss to Robert Whittaker, where, you know, it was a pretty competitive fight at points, and he did hurt Whittaker. He hurt Whitaker with the right hand at the end of the third round, but it's too little too late, and he ended up getting reversed. I think he ended up with Whitaker up against the cage, and in no time whatsoever, Whitaker was on top. <laughs> so, 
not a great fight from Jared Cannony. He couldn't head him off, basically. He could not head him off. It felt like he was following a lot of the time. And even when he was trying to move laterally and cut Whitaker, Whitaker off, he just didn't have an answer for the lateral movement of Whitaker himself. You know, and Whitaker's using things like the his classic jab cross into high kick and well, he, he cracked Cannonier in the, at the beginning of the third round and that's what caused Whitaker to get a knockdown himself. But even beyond that, Whitaker's utilization of the jab was just so effective. Cannonier, I think it broke his orbital. His eye was jacked up from that lead hand of Whitaker. It was really effective. And coming into this fight with Israel Adesanya, you can't help but look back on that that fight and go, I know his jab looked really solid against Kelvin Gastelum and, and his distance management seemed pretty good against Kelvin Gastelum, but, you know, if Rob Whitaker, like Rob and Izzy are the cream of the crop in this division. And if Rob is landing his jab that effectively on Cannoneer, I'd say it's very likely that Izzy is able to land just as effectively. But, you know, Cannonier has some really great... He blasts low kicks really effectively, as we saw against Anderson Silva. Yeah, and, you know, he has a pretty decent rear-hand uppercut, which I don't think is going to come into play in this fight because, well, Izzy's likely not going to be shooting takedowns on him. But... Yeah, I'm seeing some weird fucking takes on the internet about this fight. A lot of people saying, you know what? You know what? I think Jared Cannonier should implement a Jan Blahovich-styled game plan to defeat Israel Adesanya in this fight. And I'm just sitting here like, y'all motherfuckers don't even know what that e- what that means. Y'all don't even know what, what Blahovich did in that fight if this is what you're suggesting. Because I just don't think that Jared Cannonier is going to be capable of carrying out that same game plan. Because honestly, in that fight, Jan Blahovic's jab looked good. Jan's stance was very, very tall. He kept his feet pretty close together because, I mean, he knew he wasn't going to get taken down by Izzy. So he kept he kept his stance quite tall, and he was utilizing the lead leg uh, as a distance management tool very effectively. There were lots of occasions where he was taping or he was lifting to cross-check kicks, and then he's, he's snapping out the teep off of that to maintain distance. Really effective work, and he wasn't biting on the feints effect. He wasn't biting on the feints consistently, and when he was biting on the feints, he was closing distance, he was clinching, and he was he was utilizing those opportunities to get back to the center of the octagon and reset the action, like this was boxing or some shit. I don't think Cannonier has that tall stance necessary to allow him to tape and utilize that as the weapon of choice, and I I just don't think. I mean, Jan's timing in that fight was really sensational. He wasn't biting on the straight left, the feints with the straight left. And and when Izzy was throwing the straight left, he was coming over the top with the left hook counter and being really effective with that. And whilst I think Jared Cannonier's left hook is really dangerous and really good, I don't know. He just bit on too many feints against Whitaker for me to go, yeah, no, he's going to be able to land that counter left hook on... Izzy's straight left when Izzy's in southpaw. Yeah, he's going to be able to land that. He's going to be able to get the kill shot in that instance. I just don't think so. I just... It's it's a tall task. It's I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think he stands tall enough to be able to land that effectively as the counter. And and additionally, people are talking about, oh, he needs to wet blanket Izzy. He needs to get on top of Izzy. He needs to, he needs to wrestle him. Like, when was the last time y'all saw him 
When? Was it back when he was getting wrestle-fucked by Glover in 2017 at UFC 208? Was, is that what you're referring to? Huh? Huh? No, you dumb motherfuckers. What? He's an anti-wrestler. Did you see him versus David Branch back in 2018? He's shrugging off takedowns and shit. He's the one getting taken down. He's not going to be... He's just not doing that, okay? It's not happening. <laughs> Jared Cannonier is not changing his entire game for this one fight. It's not happening, okay? I mean, if he can get some trips out of double underhooks when they enter the clinch, that would be ideal. Uh, yeah, I just... Okay, if I'm Jared Cannonier, here's the game plan. I want to be blasting low kicks, but obviously I'm not just blasting naked low kicks because you're going to get counted. You will get counted. You will get fucked up doing that. Even though it has worked out successfully successfully for him in the past. Regardless of that, I just don't think it's an advisable course of action. So I would say, you know, we're blasting low kicks, we're blasting the outside low kick, and we're blasting the inside low kick, but off of the jab. You've got to establish the jab pretty early on. And I think if you're consistent with it, you can kind of you might be able to fluster Izzy initially. Utilizing the inside low kick off of that, off the left hook actually. What remind reminder of uh, what Alexander Volkanovsky was doing against against Korean Zombie? There was one point in that fight where Volkanovsky threw a left hook into an inside low kick, and usually you only see it with the jab because the left hook you you have to turn your hips over, so it can be quite difficult to throw the same side kick while throwing the hook because you're already turning into the shot. But it can be quite effective because, like I said, you're already turning into the shot. So if you put the leg out there, you've got momentum. You've got the appropriate momentum to land that shot. That's what Volkanovski did against Korean Zombie at one point in the third round? Second round? I can't remember. But that's something that maybe Kananir could go for. Yeah, I think he should be really looking for that inside low kick. And then when Izzy returns fire off of that, because, I mean, that's just... Izzy's going to take that inside low kick and he's going to try and return fire with his own jab or he's going to come down the middle with the straight right. That's when you need to be countering with the left hook. The left hook is going to be the key for Jared Cannonier because, I I mean, he's not he's, he's not going to be able to use his rear hand uppercut that he knocked out Hermanson with because, A, Izzy's not going to be shooting takedowns and, B, I believe there is going to be a height differential that does not favor Cannonier. He's only six foot according to Wikipedia, at least, so take that with a grain of salt. But uh, I haven't watched the weigh-ins yet, but I believe Kananir will be at a bit of a height disadvantage, so it's going to be very difficult for him to land a rear-hand uppercut counter on a guy as tall and as rangy as Israel Adesanya, as, even as Izzy is stepping in. So I don't think that's the course of approach. I think it's, it's realistically going to be the left-hook counter over the top, trying to draw out Izzy's own counters with the low kicks. Don't try... I don't think you should be fucking around throwing the right hand that much, to be honest. And, you know, maybe some switch kick... His switch kick isn't actually that bad. From orthodox, his switch kick isn't that bad. But I don't think you should be fucking around with any of that. I think it's it's low kicks, feinting the jab to get to the low kicks, and then trying to counter Izzy's counter. That's the approach. Israel Adesanya, I've studied this dude a lot. I mean, I did a, what's it called, an 18-minute long video back in 2020. It was my first video on the Fight Vigors YouTube channel. 
covers pretty much everything about him extensively, including a lot of the work that he did back in his kickboxing career. But what are the main weapons for Izzy? Well, out of out of orthodox, he pairs the jab with the outside low kick incredibly well. Go watch the Brad Tavares fight for examples of that. You'll see a million and one of them. He'll establish the jab and then he'll feint the jab and he'll go with the outside low kick. He'll hip feint for the outside low kick and then he'll throw the jab down the middle. He has a nice one-two out of orthodox, but we don't we don't see the right hand a whole lot. His fade away right hand can be quite effective, as we saw against Kelvin Gastelum. That's what dropped Kelvin Gastelum in the second round of their fight. Is that fade away right hand over the top? So watch for that when he's in orthodox, and he also has a really nice switch kick out of orthodox. Really nice switch kick. When he's southpaw, southpaw is basically, like, don't even think about his right side when he is southpaw. He doesn't throw much out of the right side. He might throw the odd southpaw jab, but not consistently. What he'll often do when he switches southpaw is he uses that southpaw double attack. He will throw the straight left, or he'll pair the straight left with the left body kick or high kick, and he'll also pair that with a, a, a push kick from that left side as well. So you get the whole you get the whole gambit. You get down the middle with the hand, you get down the middle with the kick, and you also get roundhouse kicks. So you know, if you're his opponent, you're basically just guessing, okay, what weapon is he going to go with from southpaw? Now that he's switched to southpaw, is he going to go with the straight left? Is he going to go with left high kick? Is he going to go with left push kick? Who knows? So yeah, that's kind of what you have to deal with. That said, he does kind of fall forward out of southpaw. That, that's one of the main criticisms I've had of him over time. Uh, it was very much apparent in the Jan Blahovic fight, mainly because Jan was kind of fading away and not giving Izzy the opportunities that he wanted. Jan was waiting for Izzy to come to him when he went southpaw. And when he would come to him, Izzy kind of steps in with this straight left that he he throws he doesn't throw it out like a piston like with good solid fundamental technique he kind of flicks it out there and there's a bit of telegraph with his elbow because he raises his elbow usually before he flicks it out there it's it's not like it all goes in one motion there's the flick is a bit of a process and it takes an extra like you know quarter of a second and so Jan was kind of seeing that straight left flick out there, and then he was coming over the top with the left counter, the left hook counter. And Izzy will also throw the right hook after the straight left, and that will often... He'll kind of square his hips up when he throws that right hook. Not the best shot in his arsenal. That said, I mean, I'm criticizing the straight left out of Southpaw from Izzy, but that's kind of what hurt Rob in the first round of their rematch most recently. So... I mean, take that shit with a grain of salt, huh? Yeah, I think Izzy's just got so many more weapons. His takedown defense is sensational, so if Jared does want to go to that game, even though I don't think he will, it's going to be a very tall task for him to execute because Izzy is so good at wall walking. Izzy, his sprawl is really effective, and I think he's quite effective on the front headlock as well. He's not some random bum, okay? He knows how to use the front headlock, and threaten guillotines, threaten the Dars choke, threaten the anaconda, to create a bit of hesitation in his opponent when taking him down. I mean, that's what he nearly he nearly caught. It was Gastelum with the guillotine in the fifth round of their fight 
So you can't really just shoot shoot in on him willy-nilly. This isn't like he's fighting Rob Wilkinson back at, what was it, UFC 221 or whatever it was. Yeah, back in the day. I mean, you're not going to get, you're not going to have success shooting shitty shots against him nowadays. He's he's really good in terms of his takedown defense, as we saw against Rob Whitaker in their most recent fight. Whitaker did try to employ some more of the wrestling, and I thought Izzy's takedown defense held up exceptionally well. So yes, I think this should be a layup for Izzy. He's just got to really worry about the left hook, the left hook counter. Maybe a high kick here and there, but I just think his distance management is going to be really good. I, In my head, I envisioned Kananir getting caught up with all the feints and covering up because the, there are occasions where he, against Whitaker, he did this quite a bit, where Whitaker was coming forward and he was just putting up the high guard and taking shots on the on the gloves and the forearms and then trying to swing back counters after the combination had completed. And I just see Izzy, Izzy backing him up with like pumping that lead hand feint and then going with the outside low kick, kind of bringing the stance of Cannonier a little bit tighter, but not in an offensive way. Cannonier just closing up his stance because he doesn't know what's coming and he's he's a bit nervous, I guess. And I, I can see the darting straight right. I can see a straight right slipping down the middle, both to the head and to the body quite consistently. But I, I think, yeah, Izzy's still got to be concerned about the outside low kicks. I don't think he's going to see that many inside low kicks because Cannonier doesn't inside low kick that often. But yeah, outside low kicks and left hook. That's kind of what he's got to be worried about. is strong as fuck and he hits like a truck. So it's not a, you know, it's it's a difficult fight to win. It's not like Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa doesn't one-shot motherfuckers, you know? We we went into that fight talking about how Paulo Costa's issue is the fact that he requires volume and he's not going to be able to get off volume against Israel Adesanya because Izzy's too good of a fucking striker. So, and he's not going to be able to one-shot him. Cannonier can one-shot him. He has that kind of power. So, and also the overhand right. I, I can also see Jared Cannonier looking for the catch and pitch overhand right. Looking for Izzy's jab, and if he if he does manage to time Izzy's jab, coming over the top, like slipping the jab and coming over the top of the overhand right. I can see that happening. But, yeah, I think if you're a betting man, you're looking at Israel Adesanya via... I think I'm thinking via finish. I'm thinking fourth round. I'm thinking fourth round. He gets Katania on the fence, and he just starts teeing off. And I, I just see that right straight landing to the body a few times at least yeah that's my thoughts uh in the co-main event we have a fucking banger alexander volkanovsky versus max holloway for the ufc featherweight championship this is obviously their third meeting after their most recent one went to a controversial split decision which everyone seems to disagree on not everyone most people seem to believe that max holloway deserved the victory in that case i personally scored it for alexander volkanovsky but as you can tell by my voice i am quite biased my accent gives that away so, yeah, I scored it for Volkanovski. I gave him the last three rounds. I thought they were all exceptionally close. The reason that it was so controversial was ultimately because Max Holloway won the first two rounds definitively. He got knockdowns in both of those rounds. And so people look at how definitive those first two rounds are, and they look at how close the last three rounds are, and they go, well, what are the odds that he won none of those really close rounds between rounds three and five? It's not particularly high. And so they kind of just go, well, 
based on the odds, he should have won. Because he had two definitive rounds, and then there were three close ones which kind of could have gone either way. So, you know, in all likelihood, he should have gotten a 48-47 at bare minimum. But, honestly, of all the toss-up rounds, like, I gave them to Volkanovski, and clearly so did two fucking judges. So there you go. Yes, this is the trilogy fight after Alexander Volkanovski had a really good first fight, and then the second fight was much closer. Some great adjustments from Volkanovski after getting hurt early on by Holloway, who came uh, came out with the high kicks, was showcasing a really good jab, standing a lot taller than I think we've ever seen him stand before, was countering consistently when Volkanovski was trying to get off his familiar weapons, trying to get off that inside low kick. And, you know, Volkanovski loves that inside low kick, and then steps back, switches stance. So he'll, he'll start an orthodox, throw the inside low kick out of orthodox. When he returns back into his stance, he actually draws his lead leg, which was the one just kicking. He draws that back into southpaw, and then he'll try and throw the right hook counter. Or he'll, you know, he'll just return back to orthodox, and he'll try and find the left hook counter himself, you know. In that first fight, he was doing really good work, entering with a jab, fading back, giving Holloway a little bit of space to throw a two-punch combination, and then kind of meeting him with the straight right and causing a lot of damage that way. I think I scored the first fight 49-46 in favor of Volkanovski. I thought it was a pretty, pretty convincing win. I think most people consider it a pretty convincing win. But yeah, that that second fight, man, I thought Max Holloway did a great job not falling into that straight right of Volkanovski, not giving him that right hook counter over the top off of the inside low kick and checking some of the kicks doing a great job, he was taping a bit as well, and like like we we noted just prior, he landed the high kick, I believe it was the end of the first round, it was one of the knockdowns, either the end of the first or at the end of the second, one of the two knockdowns was off of a, a lead leg, it was a step up high kick actually, and yeah, he got, he got Volkanovski hurt with that, and then Volkanovski was able to rally and, and kind of put things together in the final few rounds, and it was, it was pretty intense, pretty damn close, yeah, it, it's interesting to see how this fight's going to play out after Holloway's last few victories, because he wasn't standing as tall versus Kada or Yair Rodriguez as he was against Volkanovski in that rematch. And it, it's hilarious going back and watching the interviews prior to the Volkanovski rematch, because Holloway is saying, like, I didn't spar for this camp. I didn't even watch footage. I haven't watched the first fight. I don't care. You know, I'm just going to come out and do my own thing. And then he comes out with a tailor-made game plan that is clearly, it has been very meticulously devised specifically to try and mitigate the threats that Volkanovski offered in the first fight. <laughs> so you're like, bruh, either you watched that fight or your team watched that fight a lot because... You do not come out and completely change, not completely change your entire game, but change some significant parts of your stance and some significant parts of your striking arsenal for this one fight. That doesn't happen. And then that kind of is confirmed more so by the fact that when he comes out against Calvin Cater, he has that longer stance that we're familiar with. He's doing a lot of the, the things that we recognize from classic Max Holloway. Yeah. I just I just find it really funny that he tried to sell us on the yeah no I didn't uh, I didn't watch any footage and he kind of still sticks by it I think he's like yeah no I didn't watch any footage for that that fight I'm like yes you fucking did what are you talking about yes no yeah one of the best performances of all time against Calvin Cater back in January of last year as I'm sure we're all familiar with 
yeah, came out and he landed more significant strikes than anyone has ever landed in a fight before in the UFC. It was insane. And he looked he looked great. He was pumping that double jab. Oh man. He just did such an such effective work with the double jab and stepping to the inside. Similar to, to what Volkanovsky was was doing against Brian Ortega a bit. One of my favorite highlights from that Brian Ortega fight that Volkanovsky had with, with Ortega is this jab, and it's nothing that significant, so don't think it's going to be a really big moment. It's just throwing a jab and then drawing out the counter jab from Ortega as Volkanovsky's throwing his second jab. But he's not just throwing jab, like double jab and just stepping forward linearly. He's stepping around. He's stepping laterally to the inside of... Ortega's stance so he throws the jab and he throws the second jab and he stepped across and it lines up his right hand perfectly and it allows him to keep his head offline and mitigate the threat of Ortega's own jab and it's like there just aren't that many guys who are jabbing laterally effectively and Volkanovski was doing it really well against Ortega and it was causing Ortega a whole fuckload of issues because he's having a he's having a deal with Volkanovski stepping in in on him and stepping around his strikes just constantly and it was the same thing versus Calvin Cater for Max Holloway in that Cater Holloway fight Holloway is pumping out that double jab and he's stepping laterally he's stepping to the side he's stepping to his left and it's allowing him to line up his his straight right perfectly and you know, he was just causing so many issues for Cater there there was so much beautiful work with the body Cater does have a habit of just kind of covering up with the forearms, taking shots on the guard, and then trying to swing back big counters when he's being overwhelmed with volume. And he did that a lot in the Holloway fight because there was a lot of fucking volume from Max Holloway. Holloway was just pumping out shots. And then when he would cover up, he's going with he's going with the right straight to the body. Or he's coming up top with the hooks, and then he's folding in the elbows. There was a lot of strip-away elbows, which are our favorite elbows. Like... Someone's got a high guard and you grab the hands and you, as you pull the hands down to remove the guard, that's when you fold an elbow over the top. And it's just, whenever it happens, it's fucking dope. Everyone loves it. And Max Holloway did it really effectively. And I don't think we'd seen much of his elbow game prior to the Cater fight. We've seen, we've seen bits and pieces of it, but I'm just thinking back. Not against Jose Alba, not really against Brian Ortega. A little bit against Ricardo, a little bit against Ricardo Lamas, but not much. Like, I don't know, so much of that, that Cub Swanson fight was fought at range. Charles Oliveira, that fight didn't last very long. That was stopped really quickly. Yeah, we just, we haven't seen much of his elbow game before. And then against Cater, it was just on point the whole time. I think that's going to be really interesting. That, that That's something that might be very interesting about this trilogy fight, because... In the last fight with Volkanovski, Holloway changed up his game and was willing to stand a little bit taller to land the high kicks, to land the jab over the top, and to land the rear hand uppercut. He landed the rear hand uppercut a few times. It, it, it hurt Volkanovski at the end of one of the first two rounds. Again, I, I still can't remember. I think it was the high kick at the, the end of the first, and then it was a rear hand uppercut at the end of the second. That's my pick. That's my guess. It was one of those two fucking rounds, okay? Yeah, he, he, so he changed up his game for that second fight, and he incorporated, you know, he became Muay Thai Max, I guess you could say. Um, 
And I think in this fight, it's going to be really interesting to see if he tries to get in a little bit closer to Volkanovski because it didn't... I mean, he didn't get taken down really cleanly by Volkanovski at any point in those first two fights. So I think strength-wise... Holloway has the ability to engage in the grappling and has the ability to engage in clinch warfare with Volkanovski. And I think he should be looking for elbows on the break. That should be the game plan. But Volkanovski himself is mean on the break. As we've seen in you know, in a lot of his earlier fights in the UFC, he just has a massive overhand right that he'll land off of a takedown attempt. He would sh- like back guys up with his hands and then shoot a double leg. He get guys against the fence. And that's when he's coming up with overhand rights. That's when he's coming up with the elbows on the break himself. I I honestly think Holloway probably wants to engage in the clinch a little more this time around based on what we saw against Yaya Rodriguez and Calvin Cater. And I welcome it because I think it would be just such an interesting, an interesting game. You know, they're both incredible fighters and Volkanovski's really good in that range as well. And... Holloway showcased really great strip-away elbows against Cater and and was pretty good at mitigating some of the the weird, wonky elbows from Rodriguez in their fight. Yeah, I think I'd love to see the fight take place in that range, and I I could see it viably occurring. If you're Volkanovski, I think you want to pick up the single leg and then you want to come in with the left hook off of it. That's my approach. I think you want to... Throw that double jab, jab, sorry, pump that double jab, slipping to your right, and then pick up that lead leg, and then try and throw the left hook. Because I think, if I recall correctly, in the second fight, there were a couple of times where he's picking up the single leg, and then he's bailing on it, and he's looking for the overhand right. And I, I appreciate that strat, but ultimately, I think the left hook would be the better shot off of that. If you're Holloway, look for the high kicks, look for the switch kick up top. And I think deaden the arms of Volkanovski. Put up a lot of body kicks and high kicks and force Volkanovski to have to block them. That would be my approach because I think it's just going to it's gonna really fuck with his, his hand speed. I think it's really going to fuck with his ability to pump the jab. If your arms are all bruised and fucked up from catching a million and one kicks, they're not going to be as effective at throwing that lead hand, at throwing big shots. So I think, honestly, if I'm Max Holloway, I'm standing tall, I'm throwing elbows every single time we enter the clinch. I'm inviting the clinch, honestly, and I'm, I'm throwing elbows and I'm looking to kind of frame off and avoid the overhand right from Volkanovski on the break and avoid, obviously, the elbows from Volkanovski himself. And I'm, I'm looking to throw lots of high kicks or I'm th- looking to throw lots of body kicks and set those body kicks and high kicks up with the jab or the jab cross, you know. Take a leaf out of Robert Whittaker's book. Throw the one-two body kick, one-two high kick. I think that would be effective. And just try and avoid falling into Volkanovski's uh, fadeaway right hand, if you can. If you can. It's a difficult shot to avoid. And, you know, Volkanovski, when he goes southpaw, will also throw that straight left into right hook that Izzy also throws a little bit. And it's just about getting back and and not allowing that right hook to pop over the top. Obviously, Holloway does have a bit of a height advantage, so it's it's a little bit more difficult for Volkanovski to land that right hook on him. But I mean, fuck it, Volkanovski's at a height different uh, a height disadvantage in most of his fights. So you know, 
I don't think that will phase him too much. And he's already, he's already fought Holloway twice, so I'm sure he's well aware of the range and he's well aware of the the challenge of landing that shot. Yeah. That's a fucking sensational fight. I think... I think I'm taking Volkanovski in that fight. I thought he looked sensational against the Korean Zombie, who I don't think is as... I mean, the Korean Zombie's very near retirement, but... Still, sensational performance from Volkanovski. Doing so many great things. Stitching in the inside low kick off of the left hook. Was jabbing really effectively. So much beautiful lateral movement. The kicking game was gorgeous. I don't know, man. It was just such a such a well-orchestrated beatdown from Volkanovski. They're both coming off of really good beatdowns, basically. So, yeah. I just think that's going to be a banger. I, I, I don't... Uh, I know I'm an Australian, so I I should probably be rooting for Alexander Volkanovsky, but I don't really... Max Holloway's fucking OG. Everyone loves Max Holloway, so... I'm just going to be sitting there enjoying it. I think Volkanovsky should be the favourite, just because I think he has some better weapons, but I think Holloway does have the tools, obviously. Obviously, based on the second fight, Holloway has the tools necessary to shut him down. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting fight. Can't wait to watch it. Sean Strickland is taking on Alex Piera. Strickland has come out and been like, yeah, no, I'm I'm 100% going to be a wet blanket. <laughs> ah! This motherfucker acts like a fucking... He acts like he's committed... He's committed murder on multiple occasions. And it's like, bro, what are you talking about? You just jabbed the shit out of Jack Amanza for five rounds. Like, stop talking shit. <laughs> Get fucked. <laughs> so, that should be fun. I can see Alex Piera landing a really nice left hook in this fight. <laughs> Controversial take. I think Alex Piera will land his best signature shot. <laughs> but yeah, I just think I think Strickland stands quite tall. I think he's pretty decent at feinting the jab and and landing it, but he stands very tall when he lands it. I think he'll he'll catch Piera with a few of them, and then I envision him throwing like double jabs into takedown attempts coming up on the body lock and Pierre able to dig under hooks and and turn Strickland around. I actually think Pierre is he he seems pretty strong in the clinch. So I think I think it's going to be difficult for Strickland if if it gets if Pierre is able to get it to an upper body clinch. If he's able to to get it to over under or something like that. I think the takedown has failed and Pierre is going to be able to circle off back into the center of the cage. I think there's going to be a few failed takedown attempts from Strickland. I think he's probably going to get a double leg, or actually, he's, I think he'll probably fail on the double leg and get a couple of single legs and sit on top for a little while. But ultimately, I think Pierre is going to start drawing those takedowns up. He's going to start sprawling more effectively. He's going to start getting the wizard. He's going to utilize that to bring the takedown to the upper body. And then he's going to be circling off and he's going to be landing counter left hooks as Strickland's trying to step in. Maybe he lands a counter knee like his UFC debut. I don't know. Probably not. I think it's going to be the left hook over the top that's going to cause Strickland issues. I think Strickland's jab is going to become a little more telegraphed against a superior striker like Piera, and he's going to get clocked over the top. That's what I think is going to happen. Then we have Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barberena. What a banger. What a motherfucking banger. Holy shit. Yes. I love both of these guys. Brian Barmarino is the king of volume. He's also the king of losing fights that I just wish he had a fucking one. You know? Oh, he was so close to beating Vicente Luque back in 2019. He was like literally 
Well, when yeah, the fight ended four minutes fifty-four seconds into the third round. There were six seconds left. He was six seconds away from getting a unanimous decision. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. <laughs> but you know, I like Vicente Luque, so it's not the worst thing in the world. And then he lost to Randy Brown via TKO in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, he's just been on the up and down and up and down. There was that loss to Jason Witt where he came on really strong in the third round, nearly finished Witt like four fucking times. But couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done. And I think they gave Brian a, or one of the judges at least, gave him a 10-8 in the final round. And it made it a majority decision. I'm just opening the event now to make sure that what I'm saying isn't complete bullshit. Yeah, 28-28 on one of the judges' scorecards. So clearly one of the judges gave that third round to Brian Barberina a 10-8. So... Yeah, that was a very disappointing loss. But then, you know, more recently he's had... Oh, he had that banger of a fight with Matt Brown on that Blade to Cause card back in March. Got a split decision in that context. And, you know, beat Darian Weeks by a unanimous decision at the end of 2021 on the Font Aldo card. So he's on a two-fight win streak, which is good to see. But yeah, he's just been so up and down. He's lost to the best in the division, like Colby Covington. Lost to him back in 2016. You know, lost to Leon Edwards back in 2017. But, you know, he's had some good wins here. The win over Jake Ellenberger in 2018 was really impressive. I liked his performance against Warley Alves. That was uh, that was a UFC 198. That was at that big soccer stadium in Curitiba. And I just remember him talking so much shit and just being so in the face of the, the crowd and just being so engaged with everything. And then, obviously, he kind of rose, he rose to prominence off of that Submission victory over Sage Northcut, Sage Northcutt, sorry, in 2016. Back when Sage had all the hype in the world, Brian came in and submitted him, and it was really, it was really good. It was really fun if you're a Brian Barberina fan. So yeah, he's on a two-fight win streak. He's coming in against Robbie Lawler, whose last fight would have been the Nick Diaz fight, if I recall correctly, and he looked really solid. I thought he was pushing the pace. He was in Nick's face the whole time. I don't know, man. It was just crazy. Because what, he's like 39 now or some shit? He's 40. On His birthday's March 20th, so he's, he's 40 now. And damn. Damn. Was that what that had been when he was 39, though? Because that happened, yeah, happened last year. and happened in September of last year. Jesus, how time flies. Yeah, he's 40 now, and his pace was insane in that Diaz fight. It was an insane pace from Diaz as well. It was just crazy. You know? So, if I recall correctly, Brian is also Southpaw. Brian Barberina does typically fight out of Southpaw, unless I'm an absolute donkey. Yeah, he does fight out of Southpaw. I just had to look it up. I had to check some highlight videos. He does fight out of Southpaw. And Robbie Lawler also fights out of Southpaw. So, this is going to be interesting, because some of Robbie's best performances have come against Orthodox guys, where he's been able to... Bat down that lead hand, the Kelvin Gastelum game. Bat down the lead hand and throw the straight left behind it. I'm thinking his rematch with Rory McDonald. That was just such a classic battle of Southpaw versus Orthodox and trying to come down the middle with the straight and then land the hook over the top of the lead shoulder. Robbie does really effectively, I think, in those battles. But he's also had some success against Southpaws. He has barn burners against Southpaws, it appears. Because he had those barn burners against Johnny Johnny Hendricks back in the day where both fights were just absolutely crazy. Some people don't like some people don't like the second fight, but I think the second fight's still pretty good. 
But yeah, he had those two bar burners and, and Johnny Hendricks was a southpaw. I'm trying to think who else. Tyron Woodley, no, he's orthodox. What the fuck am I talking about? Uh, RDA, he actually had a really bad loss to RDA. RDA just completely outpaced him, was landing that beautiful right hook to the body and then coming back up top and was landing humongous combinations. Actually, yeah, I'm looking through his, his career and I'm seeing a lot of southpaws that I'm like, oh, wow, they tuned him the fuck up. Like Colby Covington. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. But the Nick, Nick Diaz is a southpaw, so, you know. I I think, well, it just gives his jab a lot more opportunity to work effectively. And Brian, Brian can be jabbed. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen a Brian Barberina fight, but he can be hit. <laughs> he does get hit quite consistently. It's part of his issue. But it's part of the reason why he's so entertaining to watch. Brian... He's going he's gonna to get caught in the middle of exchanges. I think he just has to keep up a ridiculous pace and hope his chin holds up because, I mean, this isn't going to be the like like the Luke fight where he pumps hands and Luke just covers up. Robbie Lawler, I thought, did a great job not covering up as much against Nick Diaz. That would have been the death of him. I think coming into that fight, I was a bit concerned about Robbie because I was like, you know, you know, against RDA, for example, RDA is flurrying on him, throwing 10-punch combinations, and Robbie is just, he's getting in behind his lead shoulder, he's, he's showing a Philly shell, and he's just trying to parry away shots and block shots, and he's not really firing back counters. He's basically just sitting on the fence and just trying to, trying to defend. Part of that was because he had, you know, he was hurt. I think he had a leg or a knee injury early on, like second or third round in that RDA fight, and that kind of inhibited his abilities to be offensive. But, yeah, it has happened on a couple of occasions, a couple of fights, where he gets a bit too defensive. He's like, oh, yep, I'm going to bounce shots off the shoulder, and I'm going to parry shots with my rear hand, and, you know, I'm just going to I'm gonna weave, and I'm going to be really cool with my defense. And it's like, bro, throw a shot back. You're not winning the fucking round. For the love of God, Robbie. We love you, but do something, please. Yeah, sometimes he, he has been a bit like that. But against Nick Diaz, even when Nick was throwing big, long combinations, was coming forward with the straight punches, I thought Robbie was doing a great job of trying to counter with the right hook, throwing the check hook counter. I thought he was doing a great job of kind of fading away and coming back with the straight left. And then, you know, pumping that jab cross. Just getting back in Nick's face and not allowing Nick to take over the exchanges, not being overly defensive. So I can see Brian actually walking onto quite a few straight lefts here. I think if I'm Brian, I want to kick effectively. I want to force Robbie to tighten up his stance as much as possible because Robbie will try and check kicks. He's not going to just let kicks go if you kick consistently. He's going to tighten his stance up and he's going to try and lift that lead leg to 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 check the outside low kick or to cross-check inside kicks or body kicks, the switch kick. So I think if I'm Brian, I want to be throwing... I want to be throwing a three-punch combination up top, and I want to start just chopping away at the legs. And at some point, Robbie's probably going to tighten up that stance, and he's just going to be a little more... He's going to be a lot more hesitant. So expect, if you're Brian Barberina, to get hit a lot, but if you can throw those two or three-punch combinations, get the high guard up, and then chop away at the low kick in the first round, then you're probably going to have a very hesitant Robbie Lawler in the second and third. And I think he's also just got to keep his head. He's got to be slipping to the inside to avoid the straight left. And 
Actually, no, I'm, I'm thinking of an orthodox southpaw matchup. I think he should be slipping to the outside to avoid the straight left, sorry. And he should be looking for the right hook over the top or the right hook to the body. I'd really like to see a right hook to the body and then pivot off of that. Maybe throw like a right hook up top and then throw an outside low kick and then step around. It wouldn't be an outside low kick. It'd be an inside low kick. I'm completely losing track of stances in this context. Yeah, I think you just got to avoid the straight left counter as he's stepping forward with those combinations. Basically, just throw a two or three punch combination and when Robbie fires back, get your head offline and then throw a low kick. <laughs> just wait until he throws a counter and then step off the line of fire and throw a low kick. If I'm Brian Barberina, that's my game plan. And get in the clinch. Brian Barberina's got mad elbows. Dude is scary with the elbows. He will cut a motherfucker up. So, you know, if you can push Robbie up against the cage, if you can get him being overly defensive, if you can get him trying to check kicks that aren't there, step him with the, the upwards elbows. Try and strip the guard, because Robbie's guard will be there. He'll he'll have he'll be in the Philly shell, you know, one hand down blocking the body and he'll have one hand up his, his rear hand his left hand up trying to block shots up top strip away that that left hand and go over the top with the elbow things like that i think brian barbarina has a really good shot of winning this fight but uh, you know robbie he's got power still and he can he can land a damn good shot I think, yeah, if he can land the left hand on Brian or he can land the counter, the, the check hook on Brian as Brian is stepping forward with two or three punch combinations. Yeah, you can do some good shit. Brian was probably also going to enter off inside, like slappy inside low kicks quite a bit. He was doing that a bit with, um, it was outside low kicks in that context, but he was doing that a bit with Matt Brown in his most recent fight. So yeah, entering off of a lot of like slappy outside low kicks in that context, which will be inside low kicks in this one. So I can see him throwing a lot of slappy inside low kicks and stepping in with the straight left off of that. So I think Robbie has to just kind of expect to take that low kick and then smash Brian's face with a straight left as he steps in. That's got to be Robbie's approach. Yeah, that should be a banger. Pedro Munoz is taking on Sean O'Malley, the opener for the main card banger. Pedro Munoz is pretty limited in what he has. Has a really nice left hook. His right hand has actually come quite far, I feel. He used to not really have that much of a right hand, but he's got a good right hook now. Good overhand right. And has a decent jab as well, but he stands quite tall and he lands a lot of outside low kicks. His kicks are brutal, as we saw against Jimmy Rivera. He was able to bludgeon Jimmy's lead leg. But yeah, Stands quite tall. I think Sean O'Malley's going to have a lot of fun in this fight. But he's got to be very careful. He's got to be careful of that counter-left hook that Munoz can land. I think if you're Sean, just do your classic thing. Throw a lot of fucking push kicks. <laughs> and Sean does throw a lot of push kicks down the middle from both Southpaw and Orthodox. I think a lot of this fight is just going to be him throwing push kicks. Pedro trying to step in, look for takedowns off of those push kicks. And Sean framing effectively pivoting off line and throwing shots off of failed takedown attempts, off of failed counter attempts from Pedro. Yeah, I see the jab and the push kicks initiating a lot of exchanges for Sean, and then Sean being able to get off to the side, cut angles, and, you know, punish Pedro. Hopefully he's watched Pedro's fight with Aldo quite quite a bit. 
Because, you know, as we saw against Aldo, Pedro had a lot of issues landing his, his classic calf kick because Aldo was just retracting at the knee, bringing his, his, his shin, bringing his lower leg up and not giving that calf, not showing Munoz the calf at all, and then stepping in and cracking Munoz after Munoz had missed with the kick or had kicked, you know, nothing, basically. Yeah, so I think Sean... If Sean can do that, if he can kind of retract the lead leg and then step in with the straight right, or if he's in southpaw, you know, he's retracting the lead leg, retracting the lower leg, and then stepping in with elbows, that'd be effective. I think this this should be a victory for Sean O'Malley because Pedro, like the book's out on Pedro. You know how to beat him. Mitigate the threat of that calf kick. Don't give him the left hook counter. Don't let him put you in a fucking guillotine because he's got a mad goddamn guillotine. Don't let him do those things and you should be right. And his lateral movement's not great. Not a great, not a super great cage cutter. Did some decent working. Actually, no, Frankie was circling the whole fucking time. So, yeah, I think I think this should be a layup for Sean. He also might get low kicked to death. We know that he he hasn't fared super well against low kick heavy games in the past. His, his legs are a bit frail. So, you know, maybe he gets low kicked to death, but I just, I think, you know, you go with the favorite in this instance, and the favorite is Sean O'Malley, and I think he has the tools necessary. He's able to fight long enough to mitigate some of the shorter range weapons that Pedro has, and I think, honestly, his Brazilian jiu-jitsu is really solid. His takedown defense is going to be really solid. I think, just don't throw a fucking flying knee when Pedro shoots in, okay? Just frame off, land shots on the break, and get back to range. And you should be fucking right. What else is on this card? Some bangers. Jesus Christ, we've already gone for an hour and nine minutes. And I only spent like 10 minutes talking about Matush Gamrot versus fucking Armand Sarukian. So shit. A lot of this is just UFC 276. And I haven't done, talked about five fights. Brad Riddell versus Jalen Turner. That's going to be a really... Uh, I like that fight for Brad Riddell. He's going to be landing the overhand right over Jalen's jab quite a bit. Jalen also has really nice long push kicks. Long fucking rear kicks. I think Brad's going to be looking for kick counters looking to catch the kick. I think you'll see a lot of court kicks here. I think this is going to be like Tony Kelly versus Adrian Yanez the other day where, you know, Adrian was catching the kick and then he was swinging it over to the other side of the body and then going with the with the left hook counter. I can totally see Brad catching kicks, then dropping the kick, and as he's dropping the kick, he's coming in with the 3-2 the or he's coming in with the, the, uh, the left hook overhand right and he's cracking Jalen, and then it's from that overhand right that he's going to start shooting double legs, and he's probably, I think he's going to get Jalen on the ground. I think the finish I envision here is Brad getting a double leg and landing big elbows from half guard. Half guard or half guard or side control, either one. I think he's going to be, he's going to be cutting Turner up on the ground. I don't think Turner's takedown defense is going to be good enough to avoid Brad hitting him with that double leg. Yeah. We'll see, though. That should be interesting. I mean, Jalen's a tall, long-rangey motherfucker. Maybe you should just spam spinning heel kicks. Just, you know, take Fiziev's entire approach. <laughs> you know, just extrapolate that to an entire entire fight. The spinning heel kick landed and knocked Brad out. So just do that a million and one times, and maybe you'll have success. I don't know. But yeah, I think if I'm Jalen Turner, I'm just throwing the jab out there. And I'm throwing a lot of push kicks, and I'm watching for the the core kicks. If my kick gets caught, don't fuck around. Just turn back, limp leg, and then immediately turn back in after you've cleared the leg. 
So limp leg out of the, the takedown attempt or limp leg out of the court kick and then turn back in when Brad inevitably tries to hit the double leg <laughs> and then just get back into the center. But yeah, lots of lots of push kicks down the middle. Be rangy, essentially. And Gary is taking on Gabriel Green. Have I watched Gabriel Green before? I feel like I have. Who's he fought? He fought Daniel Rodriguez. I think I remember that fight. Yeah, I don't know. This just seems like a fight where they're spoon-feeding Ian Gary a win. That's what it feels like, at least. I don't know. I really can't comment more on that. I, I haven't been super impressed with Ian Gary. I thought his last fight was pretty fucking boring, okay? Didn't have a lot of... Didn't have a lot of confidence stepping into the pocket and exchanging, so... I don't know. We'll see. Will be interesting. Jim Miller's taking on Donald Cerrone. Cerrone was meant to fight Joe Lozon, like, for the last two or three months, but then... That fight got broken up twice, two times in a row. So now you get Jim Miller. I really like this fight for both guys. <laughs> I just want to see Jim Miller take Cerrone down and then fuck around in his guard because we don't see Cerrone's guard enough. I, you know, he might be a fucking asshole. He might be a dick of a person, but shit, he's good fun to watch on the bottom. <laughs> he's putting up triangles and shit. <laughs> so yeah I would love to see see some work with Jim Miller on top I can totally see him hitting the single leg and trying to work in Donald Cerrone's full guard and, and kind of having to deal with triangles deal with some arm bars I don't think Jim Miller is going to get caught out with that stuff because it's Jim Miller and he's a motherfucking veteran he's the definition of a veteran at this point so yeah I think that's going to be a pretty good fight I think on the feet Jim Miller he's southpaw Overhand left's actually been looking pretty good recently. I think he's just got to deal with, he's got to deal with the kicks. You know, just take the Jorge Masvidal approach. Just catch the kick and then rock Cerrone's world with the straight left or the, the overhand left, whichever one you want. Yeah, and just don't get caught. Don't be our, don't be our Yaquinta. You know, don't get jabbed the fuck up by Cerrone. It's not that difficult. <laughs> Oh, and uh, counter knees. Cerrone does love a good counter knee as guys are stepping in on him. Obviously, see his fight with Alexander Hernandez. That was basically that entire fight. It was Hernandez walking in on a straight line and Cerrone going, hey, I'm just going to lift this knee into your fucking solar plexus. How do you feel about that? And Hernandez going, not particularly good. And that was the fight. So I think Jim Miller, nah, Jim's got, Jim's got feints for days and he's got a great kicking game. See his fight versus Donald Cerrone where he bludgeoned the shit out of, not Cerrone, uh, Donald, Dustin Poirier, Dustin Poirier back in, at UFC 208, one of the few great fights on that card, yeah, Jim Miller bludgeoned that leg of Poirier, yeah, so I think, you know, if I'm Jim Miller, I'm inside low kicking Cerrone, I'm throwing the overhand left every single time Cerrone goes for the switch kick to the body or the head, you know, or I'm catching the kick and I'm firing off the counter after that point, I'm just being insistent with everything, you know. Look for the single legs, play around in Cerrone's guard, be diligent and not get carried away. I honestly think Jim Miller might win this fight, but it's also a very winnable fight for Cerrone. I think he might be able to catch Miller stepping in a little predictably and catch him with those those knees to the body. And then from there, he can start landing his jab cross. From there, he might actually start having some success with his lead hand. Who knows? Brad Tavares is taking on Drikus Duplessis, who's everyone's favorite weird fighter, dude just, he stands so awkwardly, 
He stands so awkwardly, but he has so much power. <laughs> so, I don't even know. I, I think Brad Tavares should win that fight, but... Yeah, I don't know. Andre Munez taking on Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall should probably get beaten here. <laughs> I think Munez is really... Munez has been really impressing me recently. Obviously, the the win against Jacare was very impressive. And he just... Oh, man. He got that armbar against Eric Anders so fluidly. So impressively. Yeah, if I'm Uriah Hall, I'm just looking to protect my fucking arms. <laughs> But yeah, Muniz can get it from anywhere, man. He can get it from guard. You know, he can. He's really good at looking for the back and then transitioning into the armbar from the back, which isn't particularly common in MMA. It's difficult, man. It's difficult to go from. I mean, most guys just aren't going to go for the fucking armbar if they have the back. If they have the back, they're looking for the rear naked choke. But Muniz will will gladly take an armbar if given the opportunity from that position. I think. Uriah Hall's takedown defense is pretty decent. He's going to get taken down, though. <laughs> I see this fight. I think Munoz gets it done in the first two rounds. Probably by rear naked choke. I don't think he'll get the armbar in this instance. I think it'll be a rear naked choke. I think he'll take the back of Hall. Yeah, so that's interesting. Jessica I versus Macy Barber. I've honestly not minded some of Macy Barber's more recent fights. She had that fight with Alexa Grasso, which slapped. She did lose it, but also she's won two on the trot. I completely forgot. I didn't realize that she was back on a winning streak. And I only I only just realized that she'd only lost two in a row. I thought it was like a three-fight losing streak. I thought she'd just turn into this up-and-down fighter who's having a lot of fucking issues. Now, nah, maybe she's going to become the next Henry Cejudo. You know, suffers two consecutive losses, and then from there is just like, blah, I'm perfect. You know? I mean, she wasn't... The fight against Miranda Maverick and that fight against Montana De La Rosa, they weren't perfect fights. They weren't flawless technical performances. But actually, that fight against Montana De La Rosa, she looked pretty good. I was pretty impressed by her. I loved her work in the clinch. Loved her work on the ground. Yes. Cool. Good shit. Uh, this fight should be a layout for Macy Barber because I always discount Jessica Rye because she's not that good. And then Jessica Rose Clark is taking on... Stolyarenko in the opening fight on the early prelims. And we love Jessica Rose Clark because her striking is actually really good. She has a really nice outside low kick. She stands quite tall and kind of... I don't know. It's such a basic fucking statement. Such a such a generic, shitty statement. Just being like, oh, she has that Muay Thai stance. But shit. I don't know, man. She looks like she has a Muay Thai stance. And she throws brilliant elbows in the clinch on the cage. Hmm. I really like her shit. And I like on the ground. She has been taking motherfuckers down more recently. I think her last fight she did lose. Yes, she lost that fight with uh, Stephanie Egger. But prior to that, she had that fight against Jocelyn Edwards. I thought she was really good. She was hitting takedowns and shit. She was hitting takedowns and shit. I thought she looked really effective on top. Landed some elbows and stuff. <laughs> and then she had that finish against Sarah Alpar back in 2020. That was cool. I'm, I am oh, I really like watching Jessica Rose Clark. She, in my opinion, she's a really solid technical fundamental fighter. She does some really interesting things. Sometimes she can have a boring fight, but, you know, it is what it is. I'm excited to watch her fight in this instance. Yeah, no, I think UFC 276 is high-key a banger of a card. There are, there are a lot of fights here that are really exciting. If I were to make some picks, I'll make some picks for you. Okay, so Israel Adesanya, I've got him via 
Did I say finish? I think I said finish earlier. I said finish in the fourth round. I've got him via TKO in the fourth round. If you get decent odds on unanimous deci- or, or on a decision victory for Israel Adesanya, like if you get two dollar odds on easy to win by decision, take those fucking odds. Because I feel like I haven't actually checked sports bet, but I assume I assume it's going to be like dollar fifty for easy to win by for him to win by decision. I'm just looking it up now, and I can't because sports bet is a fucking mess. Uh, Izzy is a dollar nineteen favorite. No shit. By decision, actually, holy shit! On sports bet, it's got Izzy to win by decision two dollars twenty. That's very tempting. But TKO slash KO is two seventy. That's also very tempting. I'd like it a little bit higher. Yep. Yeah, if you're getting odds like two dollars twenty for decision, I'd probably take that. I think that's the way to go. What else have we got? Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. I'm taking Volkanovsky by a dis- by decision. I don't think he's gonna get. I don't think he's gonna get the finish. But who fucking knows? Maybe this will be like Joanna versus Whaley. I'm like, oh, it's gonna be a three round bomb burner, and then all of a sudden, oh, yep, Joanna's dead on the ground via spinning back fist. How good? Got beat the fuck. I got the shit beaten out of Earth the entire fight. You know, maybe that's how it will go. I don't think it will though. I think it's gonna be a decision victory for Volkanovsky. Yes, that one should be interesting. Alex Piera, I've got him via second round TKO. KO? KO? It doesn't matter. KO slash TKO. I've got Brian Barbarina by unanimous decision. Honestly, I think he might get that win there. I think that's going to be an interesting one, though. That one's a, a bit of a layup. Or not a layup, a bit of a toss-up, sorry. I've got Sean O'Malley via decision against Pedro Munoz because Pedro's head is a cinder block and you can't seem to finish that motherfucker. So, yep, I think that one's going to go the full distance and I think Sean is just going to put out some pretty damn good volume and is going to win that fight. I've got Brad Riddell via second round KO over Jalen Turner on the ground with the elbows. Don't care about Ian Garrett. Gary versus Gabriel Green, probably going to be a decision. I think Ian Gary's probably going to be boring. Uh, I have no idea though. So Jim Miller versus Donald Cerrone. I've got Jim Miller via decision. Brad Tavares versus Duplessis. I've got Brad Tavares by decision. Don't bet on that one though. Duplessis is just like too... That man shouldn't win fights based on his stance and the way that he throws shots. But he does. And he beats decent guys. Didn't he beat Trevin Giles? That was that big... Where he basically Superman punched off the fucking cage. And he knocked out Trevin Giles. And you're like, bruh. Bruh, how the fuck did you win that fight? <laughs> He's beaten actually. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember who was that. There's like a really decent kickboxer on his record, Roberto Soldich. He beat Soldich via TKO. They rematched and he ended up getting KO'd himself. But like, he beat Soldich in 2018. How does this happen? <laughs> it makes no sense to me. So I would not bet on that fight. Do not bet on that fight. I think Brad Tavares should win that fight. Oh, sorry. Should win that fight. But it ain't a fucking... I got no clue. Uh, Uriah Hall versus Andre Munez. I've got Munez by... I'm going to say third round submission. Nah, second round submission. I'm, I'm, we're going second round for everything. Jessica Rai versus Macy Barber. I got Macy Barber via... What's it called? Unanimous decision. And I've got Jessica Rose Clark by unanimous decision. Those are some of the bets. Put money down if you dare. 
If I'm going to multi anything, I'd probably multi... I'd multi Brad Riddell with Jim Miller. And I'd just do it... Uh, when, I, when I do multis, I just do for win. I don't do it for method. I'm just actually looking at this. Brad Riddell with Jim Miller. Multis on sports bet, you get $3.22 return for that, actually. Not bad, because Brad Riddell's actually the underdog. Jalen Turner's $1.66. Huh! Did not realize that. What is Jalen Turner's most recent fight? I'm just, like, going off of his... Oh, yeah, he had the victory against Jamie Malarkey. Got that, that KO. I don't care, because Jamie Malarkey's not as good as Brad Riddell. So, no offense to Jamie. Cool guy. From this, from this neck of the woods, from uh, Australasia, but yeah, I think um, I'm thinking Brad Riddell's gonna be a bit better than that. And yeah, uh, uh, actually, yeah, shit, two dollars eighteen, two dollars fucking eighteen, baby. Also, Alex Pierre is two dollars. He's is slight underdog against Sean Strickland. So fuck it. I, in my opinion, what you guys should go with is yeah. Uh, right now, I'm actually going to set this up. I've got a uh, multi with Brad Riddell, Alex Piera, and Jim Miller. It pays out six forty-five. I like those odds a lot. I like them a lot, ladies and gentlemen. If you're kind of after the more guarantees, I'd chuck Macy Barber. I'd chuck Macy Barber and Sean O'Malley in a multi, but also it's not really worth it. It's like a dollar seventy-one on sports bet. You could chuck uh, Jessica Rose Clark in there, boosts up to two seventy nine, because I think Jessica Rose Clark probably should win this fight. I think she's a better fundamental striker. So you know, we'll see. Anyway, holy shit, I have rattled on for like an hour and nearly an hour and a half. So I will let y'all motherfuckers go. I hope UFC two seventy six entertains the shit out of you. I'm gonna go back to looking at the NBA's trade. You know. The opening of free agency over in the NBA. Some crazy shit. I go over the Portland Trailblazers, and they've actually done some decent moves this offseason thus far. I mean, they always do decent moves. It's it's a cycle. The the Blazers will sign, like, a couple of defensive stalwarts. Like, you know, you got Larry Nance last offseason. Got Robert Covington, like, two offseasons ago. And they kind of, they do their thing for a couple of weeks into the, into the regular season, and then they start dropping off in terms of consistency, and then we move them, and it's like, ah, cool, delightful, now we have no idea what we're fucking doing, and Dame has to carry us, we have to limp leg our way to the playoffs, or to a play-in performance, or some shit, you know, yeah, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but we did get, we did get Gary Payton, we did get Gary Payton, I'm so happy, GP2, he's ours, baby, he's ours, and we re-signed Nurkic, uh, this morning, Anthony Simons is still going to stick around. Yeah, there's some some decent moves. So I'm enjoying the offseason thus far. And obviously, you've got the crazy stuff about Kevin Durant trying to get out of Brooklyn. Kyrie, you know, he opted in. And now they're talking about trades with him and shit like that. And Jokic just signed for the most in NBA history, I think. Carl Anthony Towns is back. For Minnesota. Oh, Rudy Gobert's going to Minnesota. And Minnesota offloaded like five first round picks for it. What the fuck? Yeah, and they, they got rid of like Pat Bev. They gave them so much shit. It was crazy. Yeah, don't know about that. I like Minnesota, but that's some dumb shit. Some, I mean, it, it very much in line with Minnesota's uh, MO. <laughs> so yes, anyway, I've waffled on. Uh, 
I hope you have a great weekend. Hope you enjoy the fights. Tomorrow is when I'm uploading. Yeah. So yeah, I hope you enjoy things. Catch you later, guys. Bye.